This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we've been looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're now up to week 37, Ben. We've been at this for a little, little while, and there's a little while left as we are diving into it. Soon, we are preparing to the last week of Jesus, to take a look at that, and as we're, we're ready to do that, Jesus comes into an encounter here with a man named Lazarus who had died. This is a pretty famous story. It's in John chapter 11, the story of, the story of Lazarus. Are there any um, things stand out to you from, just in general, from life and death and funerals that, that make life an interesting perspective. I'll start you off with one since I just tossed this at you. And that is we had a foreign exchange student from South Korea who lived with us one of the school years. We have four daughters and it was a regular routine for us because I'm a pastor and would have funerals, regular routine for us to get all the girls and, and everybody all together. And the six of us, my wife, Lisa, and our four girls would head out go somewhere, we're going out for the evening, whatever, and stop by the funeral home. It was just normal. Well, we had our foreign exchange student from South Korea, and it turns out in South Korea that, at least according to her, they never see a dead body. They treat death differently. So when we said we were stopping, and we named the funeral home, we're stopping at a funeral home, she didn't think much about it, the name of the place, went in, one of the five girls now that we had with us went in, and this little Korean girl, um, she turned all shades of Casper the Friendly Ghost. It was a really interesting thing because she had never in her life encountered a dead body. And I know that a number of people in every culture look at death differently than maybe their neighbor down the street or other people, depending how their family raises them. What is your perspective on that as, as you've seen it in your own kids or yourself as a child growing up? Of course, you had to deal with it early on as, in high school, I think, when, when your own father passed away. I, I also had to, as I mentioned previously here, that my brother died when I was 11. What are your thoughts on this whole concept of the encounter with death? Um, from a, a- pastoral family standpoint i think my my girls especially my oldest have probably been to more funerals than most adults i know but one of the things that always strikes me in officiating funerals and meeting with families is that no one ever talks about the vocation of the deceased unless that's all they have to talk about and what i mean by that hmm. is that the stronger the relationship the family or friends had with the deceased um, that's where the energy focuses, the conversation focuses on the, the relational love the, that was shared um, rather than the vocation. And it's always fascinating to me because the amount of time and effort it, that oftentimes people put into uh, their vocation, sometimes at the expense of their families and at the end of life, while, you know, vocational... Um, or, or work 
uh, successes or, or maybe disgust, they always fall to the backdrop of the scene. And so I think that's one of the things that's always struck me, um, in meeting with families and dealing with death on a, you know, quite right re- on a regular basis as a pastor is it's a, it's a constant reminder to me of how am I investing myself in my relationship with my wife, my kids, friends, family, um, how will they remember me? Uh, because all the, the energy, well, again, living into your vocation, being faithful to God's call vocationally is, is of astronomical importance. How am I building relationships? How am I nurturing relationships with others? Yeah, I, I suppose at the end of the day, our daughters who are now between the ages of 28 and 34, 35, somewhere like that, they, they aren't really enamored by the fact that I'm a pastor. They want, they talk about who I am as their daddy. Right. And that's even true today is they're in their late twenties, early thirties. That's even true now that they, it's about the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's been times when I found myself, uh, stressed by kind of an overload of work. And, uh, there'll be those moments, uh, on a Saturday when I'm spending time with my kids and. And my mind is occupied elsewhere. And uh, sometimes in those moments, reflecting upon, you know, conversations that I've had uh, with families, or recent conversations I've had with, with families who have experienced uh, the death of a, of a, you know, a beloved dad or, or mom, it serves as that constant reminder uh, to me just to kind of say, dude, relax, focus right. in on your girls. God will take care of the rest. You know, you're being faithful to his call. Um, so chill out and right. love your kids. Right. That's what matters. Yeah. And, and now we have our nephew, Abraham, that's part of our family. And again, it's not that he doesn't care. He, he faithfully comes to church and, and all those kind of things. And, and we do devotions every evening together, but he, he really loves it when I go to his soccer games. He really loves it when I go to his wrestling matches. Right. I mean, he, he, and I do too. I, I love being around him and, and so it's about relationship and my grandchildren, they, when we, when they stay all night and where are you going, grandpa? Well, I'm, I'm going to work. Why don't you want to stay here and play with me? Right. <laughs> you know, they, right. So it's actually being a pastor is a detriment right. <laughs> to that relationship. Right. No, it's a really good perspective that you bring there. And I don't know, you know, how that worked. I don't know what Lazarus job was. It's not mentioned here as you talk about that. But let's pick up the story in John chapter 11, right at the beginning. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So he had some history with his family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It seems kind of like a cryptic message, doesn't it? The one you love is sick. Of course, the deliverer of the message would have said it was from Mary and Martha. So maybe Jesus would have known who that was. But it it goes to what you're talking about in terms of relationship. In fact, this is picked up in the next few verses When Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And here's verse five. Now Jesus 
loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. It was all about relationship. Why is relationship king at the end of the day? Yeah, I think sometimes we just get so self-consumed with whatever we've got in front of us personally that we don't give ourselves uh, to the relationships that surround us as we should. Um, I know that I'm as guilty of, as anyone uh, of that um, to where I can look past the relationship or not be sensitive uh, to those uh, in my presence because I'm thinking uh, about what I have to get done in the next day or the next moment. Um, and so, you know, f- for me, especially, I don't know why, I, I don't know if it, it's been in the time of COVID or what, one of the things that I really cherished during COVID was while in some ways life got a whole lot busier, uh, even work life got a whole lot busier. I was constantly with my family. I was constantly present with them. You know, we were having breakfast together, lunch together, uh, dinner together. And during, during that time, I, I, God really kind of, uh, spoke into my heart about, you know, this is what really matters. Um, and it's made me, I, I think, I hope in the last few years, I've become uh, more sensitive uh, to those around me and seeking to be intentional about building those relationships, about loving those uh, in front of me. And in essence, not loving them uh, in a moment so I can get to what I have to do next, but actually being present with them mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but being really present uh, with people. That's an interesting perspective. Mine, I don't know if it's different or opposite of that, but just a different nuance of it in that for me, COVID did bring me into the home a little bit more with Lisa and Abraham, but I felt it impeded the building of relationships with friends because I was brand new to the church. I, I arrived in July of 2020, right in the middle of COVID, and very soon you know, we had sickness on the staff and hospitalization and shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me a year at least to, to be, even begin to build those kind of friendships and relationships, being new to a city and new to a church, n- new to the relationships in the community. And we would have Zoom meetings like everybody else. And that was pretty challenging way to build relationships. Mm. So I found it kind of a mixed bag that I was able to do that maybe a little bit more with my immediate family at home, but it was much harder because I was new Mm -hmm. and didn't have those longstanding relationships with others. It definitely impeded, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to build new friendships, um, I, 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 obviously, definitely impeded that. Uh, but for me, it was it was one of those things where, in some ways, being persistently present with my family um, really, kind of, you know, I'm an introvert by nature. As I kid around with people, sometimes you know, I could go sit behind a closed door and just read and study and write all day, and would find great contentment uh, in that. And then when that life in some ways was upended during uh, COVID, it gave me a better perspective. I don't even know a better perspective. It just, the relational joy 
that emerged out of that time uh, for me uh, was of great, um, transformed my heart in a lot of ways. Not that I, did, I had some distant relationship with my wife or my kids by, by any means, I mean, but that being said, just the, that relational joy, which then manifested itself, I found in other relationships that I already existing relationships I had where I found myself becoming more intentional um, to build that, that relational joy with them. And so those, those few relationships that I had, uh, that I had developed or, uh, had, had uh, folks I had come into relationship with here at Fishers, uh, cause I was here, you know, eight months before the world shut down. Um, I found that those relationships, those existing relationships grew really strong uh, during that time. I'm guessing that Jesus and Lazarus didn't meet by zoom. And it's pretty educated guess there. That's what a seminary degree will do for you. They probably didn't um, do social distancing and have synagogue shut down along the way. So uh, they, awesome. he, he was with them and he'd been with them and he, and he had been in relationship with them. They had been in ministry together, poured perfume on him and like they, he knew them and it says he loved them. So he hangs out for a few days. We'll skip down to verse 17. And by now, Lazarus was dead. Verse 17, on Jesus' arrival to where they lived, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. More relationship. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there's a statement of faith, isn't it? Yeah. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's a bigger statement of faith. Yep. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. If you stopped there, it's like she has this great faith. He makes this promise. But then her response is interesting. Verse 24, Martha answered, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He's going to heaven. She, she had just said, Jesus, God will do whatever you ask. He wouldn't have died. God will, God will do this. Your brother will rise. Well, yeah, you're probably talking about heaven. Am I missing something in this exchange where Martha goes from incredible faith to pulling back and sort of doubling down on doubt? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that's a reasonable read uh, here. I do think that Martha has obviously been conditioned by the theology of the Pharisees and in the Old Testament, which did point to a, a future resurrection of the dead. And so I think that's what she's drawing on. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if it's a mix of faith and doubt, or it's a mix of, uh, you know, theological conditioning, not recognizing what Jesus really truly has the power to do in this moment, even as she says, I know that even now uh, God will give you whatever you ask. And Martha's, we know her personality from elsewhere in the Gospels. She's the doer. Right. She is the one who's always preparing the meals and, and running around and doing tasks. So she's probably through that lens wondering what task 
what action Jesus is going to perform and maybe having a hard time wrapping her mind around it. In verse 25, Jesus clarifies or expounds on her understanding of the resurrection the last day when he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a great question for all of us to wrestle with today. Do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Do I believe that Jesus is the life? Do I believe that if I have faith in him, that I will have eternal life? It's a, it's a great statement and a great question that we still wrestle with, even inside the church today, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Jesus really is pointing here to his coming physical bodily uh, resurrection and then drawing on that uh, later, the actual historical event of his bodily resurrection. The Apostle Paul makes the, the comment in 1 Corinthians 15 that, you know, absent the resurrection, our faith is in vain. And so our assurance comes via Christ's physical resurrection. And what's mind boggling to me are those who are self-proclaimed Christians that don't believe or don't hold to the physical resurrection that argue for some spiritual renewal, some sort of spiritual resurrection, um, which this is not what Jesus is pointing to here uh, in these verses. It It is mind-boggling, isn't it? There's so much of the gospel given toward the power of the crucifixion and resurrection, and that carries on through the book of Acts and the epistles in the New Testament. And Jesus makes this bold claim here. He said, do you believe this? And in verse 27, Martha replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, that is the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Straight declaration of faith that we could learn from. Well, Martha kind of fades away, and her sister Mary comes. Now, Mary's personality we know is different. Mary is a, it's less about doing and more about being. She's, in other encounters, not the one who's doing all the preparations and cleaning the house and cooking the meal. She's the one who's hanging out and, and listening to the words of Jesus, pouring on the perfume, worshiping. So it's interesting that they have this same kind of exchange, and down in verse 32, again, Mary says, just like her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, just like her sister had said. But there's a different reaction to G- of Jesus in verse 33. He doesn't go into this whole thing about he's the resurrection and believing and put your faith in me. Verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Down in verse 35, Jesus wept. What is it about this encounter where Jesus has a different kind of response to one sister than he does another? With one, he's 
He's speaking directly about himself as the resurrection, the, the means to salvation, the Messiah, the Son of God. With the other one, he just cries with her. Yeah, and I think part of it is he's greeting them where they're at. I mean, I think about my own girls who in some ways parallel uh, Mary and and Martha, and you've got one who I think processes much more uh, mentally. You know, she's processing what's happened about Lazarus's death, Christ not being there uh, immediately. And so she's asking, she's got this back and forth with Jesus. And then Jesus uh, greets her with the, I am the resurrection and the life uh, statement. And then you've got Mary who is in tears, weeping, grieving over her brother's death. And she's processing emotionally. And you see Jesus just comes alongside of her and comforts her. And that understanding, that's the means of comfort she needs. Martha needs a reasoned response. Mary needs a hug. And so <laughs> one of the things I see, again, and this is Jesus' relational nature, is that he's sensitive uh, to these things and sees what they need uh, in that moment. Yeah, that's a really good perspective and way for us to help understand that. So Jesus acts and raises Lazarus from the dead. We don't have time to read all of this. We, we encourage our listeners to do so in John chapter 11. But I would like to jump down to verse 45 after the resurrection. So now Lazarus is raised and he's walking around. And it says in verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did in, the, in raising Lazarus believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, ratted him out, and told them that Jesus, what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests, who would be the Sadducees, and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was 50-50. It was like Democrats and Republicans, only it was 50% Pharisees and 50% Sadducees. And so this chief priests and that gang calls this meeting and brings them all together and says, what are we accomplishing here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, raising people from the dead and silly stuff like that, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Interesting response that rather than looking at the power of God and what God is doing in the midst of their community, they're concerned about their position. They're consumed about not God's power, but their power that they held under the authority of the Roman government who allowed them to have this kind of power, and in particular, the, the Sadducees and the, and the high priest. In fact, verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perished. Down to verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. In, in fact, I'm going to push this a little further before I, before I pause for you. Down in, in John chapter 12, the next chapter, the, this very next chapter, there's a, a new gathering. Now they're having, another, they're having a dinner party. I mean, it's like a resurrection dinner party and at the, at the parties, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead, and they're, they're enjoying this, this party together, and Mary now takes her 
perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. I mean, it's a it's a worship celebration. But here's what's interesting. Down in chapter 12, verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Like, he's a circus sideshow. This guy was dead for four days, and they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. The guy had only been out of the tomb for a little bit of time, and they're going to kill him again. So there was a there was a plot now to kill Jesus and a plot to re-kill Lazarus because Jesus was performing the works of God. What is going on in these guys' minds? I think, um, one, they've consistently tried to uh, play off Jesus's miracles as somehow or another, you know, the act of the devil. The other part of it is, is that they, uh, obviously, as you've said, are concerned about their own power. Um, If Jesus comes and starts upending things and starts to, and potentially causes a revolt uh, within Jerusalem, the Romans are going to squash the revolt, and they're also going to remove Caiaphas from power. The Romans were the ones that put Caiaphas in power. The Romans were the ones that took his father-in-law years earlier, Annas, out of power um, as the high priest. And so uh, the Sadducees were, I mean, honestly, there was they were as much in bed with the Romans as the Jewish tax collectors and, and others because they were dependent upon the Romans for their seat of power. Um but they're also, I mean, there's also this fear ultimately that as people continuously align themselves with Jesus, then the religious leaders don't have the power or the authority uh, to control the behavior of the people, which could lead the folks, if they're aligning themselves with Jesus, they don't know exactly what that means. And it could, in their minds, lead the folks to try to revolt against the Romans, which would then lead the Romans to crack down hard on the Jewish people. Um, in Jerusalem. And so in their mind, if we can get rid of Jesus, then we can end any, uh, any fear that, that that's going to happen. And they need to kill Lazarus because as we'll see in, uh, with the Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it's really the miracle that Jesus performed in raising Lazarus from the dead that brings everybody out to welcome him in, uh, to, uh, Jerusalem. And so uh, they're trying to kill Lazarus because in their mind, he's the proof. He's the one who's going to rally uh, Jerusalem around Christ. Perfect segue. Next time, we're going to take a look at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and once again, the cleansing of the temple that's there. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. That'll take you to many more elements in this year-long study. If you haven't been following along, just start now with wherever you are and lean in to the life of Jesus. Until next time, may God bless. Mm-hmm.